This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to episode 17 of Inspiring Design with yours truly. Today is all about interior design, and I've got a very special guest here with me, Emma Ridings. She is the Senior Associate at the Bucken Group with 20 years of industry experience. Her career spans from the UK through to Australia, as well as worked in major projects such as the Marriott in Momi Bay in Fiji as one of the design leads. This project then became one of the finalists in the waterfront divisions in the World Architecture News Awards, but this is only the start as Emma has been a part of other multi-award winning projects within the Bakken Group. Emma, thank you for giving up your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Rashad. Can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself and your experience? Sure. So, um, well, where do I start? Um, if we talk about design, I guess I've always been very um, conscious of design. I, I guess you could say that I was born to be a designer, whether that's in the architectural field or the interior field. Um, I grew up in Melbourne, moved to the Sunshine Coast and was embedded in the um, Sunshine Coast School of Architecture, which had John Mainwaring, Lindsay and um, Kerry Clare, um, Gabriel Poole. So I was very fortunate to have all of that around me and having that great aspiration to design fantastic buildings and um, fantastic homes, really. Yeah. Um, and then I studied in um, Brisbane. I studied architecture. And then I came out to the real world. But cre- creativity has always been something that has been at the core of my um, being, I guess you could call it. Always love to draw, always been inspired by things around me. And I think that's one of the things about being in the built environment is that as you traverse our world, you're always looking at things around you, the spaces around you, the buildings around you but and the places. So it's something that's truly intrinsic to yourself, I think. Yeah. yeah. So you actually didn't study interior design in I didn't uni. study interior design. I actually studied architecture. Right. So when was the actual transition into interior? Well, there's no, there's no transition as such. I think design is a collaborative ap- approach. And as a, an architect or an interior designer, you always have a perception of what the space is going to be. Mm-hmm. You're always creating a space for people. And that's very important. And I think you'll always have an insight into the final solution for that space. So I think architecture and interiors are an amalgamation of pretty much the same thing, just different aspects. You will have different disciplines doing different things, but I think it's the collaboration that is going to create the space, not one or the other, but both of them together. And other things as well, graphics, branding, um, all those other aspects. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. And um, it's, it's given that clarity, my background's in architecture as well, so... I do get where that line can, I think, cross over. And it's always been something that I've wondered. So it's good to hear um, that 
it's more of a hands-on approach and people do have that back and forth and people in Archie or Interior can go to either actually and, and be successful. Yeah. I mean, of course, the crossover between Interior to Architecture is a little bit different just because of the skill set that's required mm-hmm. and the um, formal education, I guess, that you need. But it's very doable. We have a lot of people in Bucken who have done Interior Design as the course and then have gone on to do the last three years in Architecture. Yeah. So... You know, as I said, it is a, it is a very collaborative industry, and you will have an input into all those different disciplines. Yeah, awesome. Well, I've got a lot of my students who are studying interior anarchy as their second and second majors, actually. So it makes perfect sense. They're complementary skills at the end of the day, aren't they? They are perfect. Yep. And you have to know you have to know about you know buildability and all those finer elements that will get the project delivered in the end. And it doesn't matter if you've come from the architecture or the interior side. Um, They all, I'm going to use the word collaboration again, because (laughs) it's all very collaborative and you have to know, you have to work together and you have to understand each other as a team. No, that makes perfect sense. And and one of the questions that I always get asked is, and I keep going back to Archie because architecture is a very... It's got a, it has a very rigorous registration process to get and call yourself an architect one day. Yep. And uh, how does one become an interior designer? Is there a similar process or is it more free? Or in your experience, how does that work? How does one become an interior designer? Look, I am not the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I am not the probably the lead person to talk about you know, the formal qualifications. I know that all design or the built environment, when I did the course, um, we all started off in the same, in the same year. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, industrial design, architecture, interior. So we all had the same base and then we all branched off into our own. And I went on to do architecture, interiors go off to do interiors. Um, they don't have the same uh, registration process mm-hmm. as architects. You know, they come out of university and they're they're a qualified interior designer. Um, and then they go into the business or, you know, wherever they might might take them. Um, so it's almost similar to engineering. After your bachelor's, you, you can call yourself an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, there you go. That's something that a knowledge gap that you filled in my head. So thank you. I mean, you've got to, you've also, I guess you've got to understand there's a difference between interior design and interior decorating. That's the biggest thing mm-hmm. I think that people get a bit muddled yep. with and interior design is about creating a space and understanding the place or the space that you're making. And it's not just about furnishings. Yep. And you, you talk about this in the, you know, the wider community and there's, you know, a bit of discrepancy in terms of people's knowledge about what interior design is and what interior decorating is. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that um, people understand the difference between those two. So how do we define those differences? So interior designers, like I said, they're not just picking furnitures or paint or anything like that. They need to work with... Uh, a space so they're creating a space for people creating a place like placemakers mm-hmm. um, they work with all sorts of all facets of that built environment so walls and buildability of that space so it might not be for example in Bucken we have you know a strong skill set in retail um, and they might have a shell to work with but it's about how you encourage people to circulate what the branding is, how you, what 
I guess, what form you're trying to take on Mm -hmm. and you've got to understand all of those uh, parts. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Mm. What about an interior decorator? An interior decorator will take a place that's already built and the walls are up, the form is created and they'll apply. The space exists. Yeah, the space exists as it is, whereas an interior designer will create that space. Gotcha. I think that's a very valid line that needs to be drawn because even at a tertiary level, I think a lot of, there is that misunderstanding that people have of interior design, interior decoration. So that, mm. that's good to hear. And a lot of the listeners will, I think, gain a lot of value from understanding where those lines are drawn. Now, one of the questions that I get asked a lot from the teachers and the students that, that listen to me a lot, what are the software applications that you use and how do you keep up with it? Okay, so the software applications. So it really, it kind of depends on the project mm-hmm. that you're working with. Um, you know, you might start your concept with using SketchUp or Revit and putting that into 3D Max. It's about creating a concept that your client can understand. So it's not just 2D. You really need to convey it in the three dimension. Yeah. So you do need to have some skills. And we're talking about computer skills here, yep. not just hand-drawn yep. skills. Um, so you've got Revit, 3D Max, Lumion, um, SketchUp, something that's really quick and easy to yep. you know bring that uh, concept to life. So mm. almost all of those software applications didn't <coughs> exist when you were finishing uni. So how did you learn those while you're in practice, while you're leading projects? So let's be honest here, Sean. <laughs> I don't know all those practices. That's all those, fine. All those software applications. Um, others do. We have junior staff that are fantastic. Yeah. And they do a great job mm-hmm. and I sit with them or I work with them and um, we create these concepts out of those packages. Um, when I started, I still do hand drawings. Brilliant. Yeah. I still hand draw on. There's, you know, there's a lot to be said for a hand drawn um, sketch mm-hmm. and especially being able to be fluid in a meeting with a client. If you can sit down and you can draw and you can, you know, show them the way forward if you need to do changes or what have you it's a very good tool to have so i can actually imagine you being in a client meeting and pulling out your pen and doing quick vignettes and quick sketches to communicate that concept is that right yeah absolutely awesome. and i think you i think it's really i think it's a really good tool a lot of people talk about oh no i'm, I'm not going to do any hand drawings because you know it's a little bit old a little bit archaic but it's it is important it's an important skill to have and um if you can do that on the fly then yeah it says it, it's it's a, it, a sketch says a thousand words. Yeah. Do you were you just a natural born sketch artist, or did you actually practice that? Well, no. I've like I said, I've always been a bit of a creative <laughs> and love to draw. I still love to draw. I don't get enough time to draw, um, but yeah, I've always I've, it's been one of the things that I've always loved to do. So and and look, drawing is something that you do have to practice. You don't just get a you just you don't get a pencil and and um, start drawing and you know create masterpieces or anything. It is it is a practice. It is a learned process to yep. to work on. Yep. I think that's music to the listeners' ears because I get a lot of teachers asking, you know, how do you how do you practice sketching? I'm not a good. I, I can't sketch because I wasn't very good at drawing when I was in high school, and now I have to teach sketching to these design students. How do you learn those skills? So 
I think it, it, it's a, it shows hope when teachers hear that because it is a learned skill and it is practice. Even if you have been a creative, I think you still need to do that to hone those skills, yeah. isn't it? Oh, I mean, one of, the, one of my favourite subjects at school was art. Loved it. Right. Look, I'm not a very good painter, but, and I'm not going to float my boat here, but yeah. I think I'm a pretty good... <laughs> I think I'm a pretty good drawer. Yeah. Um, I don't know about now, though, because mm-hmm. I haven't drawn things for quite a while, except for the hand sketches, you know, for the Bill's environment. But I love to – I used to love drawing portraits and what have you. Um, so it is something, as I mentioned, you know, going through school and being in art class, it is something that you develop over time. Yeah. And it is something that you have to continue to develop as well. Yeah, that's it. I think uh, the same common theme keeps coming across regardless of the profession. Even if they were good at sketching or not, it's something that they have to practice. Same with the software applications. It is constant practice and everyday use and playing with it that makes you better at it at the end of the day, I think. So one of the questions that I always ask the design professionals is we're in that transition of almost hitting that fourth industrial revolution at the moment with the rapid technology change and everything connecting. So how do you see technology like VR and AR or even artificial intelligence changing or evolving the industry of interior design? It's a very good question. <laughs> no, it is, seriously. Um, I was actually talking to one of the guys in our his pretty key in our brand X mm-hmm. um, department. So that's brand experience. And he's down in Vivid. He's down at Vivid at the moment. So we do a lot of installation work down at Vivid, um, amongst other things, amazing stuff. And I was talking to him about VR and AR and AI, and they are probably the best people to talk to about this. But it's, it's really interesting because if you take VR, for example, you know, and I was talking to him and I don't know if I'm going to put him in the best light here. But, um, you know, you take 2D forms of communication and you talk about CAD as a fundamental was always used as 2D. So it's plans, elevations, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was it's very interpretive. Um, so you would present something to a client and they would have to interpret the space. You might get a hand drawn. You might have an in-house um, artist that would hand draw the space for you. But again, it's still very interpretive, and this is so that you can convey. Because designers are very visual. We can we can understand what we're drawing, mm-hmm. but trying to convey that to clients or you know the public or the government or whoever you're creating this development for or this space for, um, you've got to try and get that across. And it's communication at the end of the day. Absolutely. Everything's communication. <laughs> um, so I think the, I think VR has allowed us to go from a two-dimensional concept and put it into a three-dimensional concept. So, you know, as we've progressed, we've got 3D visualisation and we use, you know, whether that's 3D Max or what have you. So then we're starting to create these uh, photo-generated views. But again, still, it's a little bit interpretive. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you could use wide lenses and all sorts of things and you're distorting the space and what have you. But it's a fantastic communication tool because you get a sense of, you know, partial reality of what that actually is. But it's still, I think, um, there's no la- there's no sense of scale and it doesn't bring that fourth dimension into play. No. So then you go into... 
you touch, you're, you're now touching on augmented reality. Yep. Right? So, well, no, let's go back to VR because you can still, like with VR, with how it's progressing, you know, you can put on a headset mm. and you can create a model for somebody and they can walk around, yep. which is what we do, and we do this in-house in, at the concept stage. Mm-hmm. So and it's we use it a lot for us, but you can on-sell it to your clients because they love it. They can put the headset on, they can walk around the space, they can actually feel what that space is like and that's one is to one yeah like and you can't fake that exactly so you're walking around the space you can see if it's small you can see if it's big you can see if you need to change anything and that's a fantastic tool to design with because you can put the headset on and even though you've created these 3d massing models and what have you um you can walk around this space and go okay this is this is feeling a little claustrophobic or if that's what you're after, then that's fantastic. But if it's not, you can change it and you can adapt it before it actually goes on to documentation stage or anything yep. like that. So it's it's becoming more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, we use it a lot at the concept stage and a lot of our, especially with our uh, Brand X team, they use it with their clients a lot and I they see. love it. It's fantastic. Yep. Um, augmented reality is... It's actually a pretty good tool as well. So we're seeing that come into play where, you know, for example, it's more prevalent with our signage and graphics team where they can put the virtual model on their phone and go into a real space and then, you know, have this phone walking around with, say, for example, a pylon sign in the existing area that it is and they can see how it interacts with the space or if it's too big or if it's covering up anything and the client can actually view that as well and they Mm -hmm. can see what's going to happen before it's actually built because you actually even mentioned sketchup before with microsoft hololens coming into play (laughs) at the moment you can even understand the design discrepancies at that concept level stage just through augmented Mm. is that something that you've had an experience with at the moment look i haven't myself um, but our team has, mm-hmm. and that's where they use that um, that software. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. But, you know, if I go back to that, one of the key points for interiors, for example, is perhaps in a retail environment where you have a kiosk in the middle of a mall, mm-hmm. and we all know, you know, you've got a set width for a mall and you don't want to, you, you still want to create those sight lines through the mall and ensure that the circulation paths are well executed and, you know, the the widths and everything are, are tailored, but mm-hmm. you could put this virtual model into your phone or whatever you've got and walk around and make sure that it's all working well and your sight lines are not going to be constricted. So that's 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 a great tool to have. Yeah. Um, and then I guess it's AI. Now AI is a little bit of a different shift, I guess. So this is. This is coming into play with software programs. Yep. So all your all your interpretations. Mm-hmm. So and I think this is where we're going to see a lot more organic form taking place. Because mm-hmm. before we had to think about, for example, if I take um, if I take structural engineering, you know, the the loads and what have you, you had to plug that in. You had to work out your loads, where the forces were all that sort of stuff and you know it was it was probably a little bit more rigid now we're seeing that programs are adapting where you can start just plugging in the information that you need and it will come up with a solution for you now that might not be the best solution and you can tailor it to fit and to suit and change it and adapt it but it will give you 
um, it will give you the start of what could be a very organic form. And I think that's where in design it's going to play a huge role. I mean, if you take it from an interior's point of view, you could put in the lux levels of a of a space and it, and you'll put in, you know, your light fittings and what you want and it will put out a layout for you. And like I said, again, it's not going to be the perfect layout, mm-hmm. but it will be a start. And that's that's really comes down to time efficiency. Yep. So it's going to play an important aspect in design. I think this is the concern that a lot of um, future designers and teachers of those designers have is the fact that will AI, because of its potential, will it even replace... It? Um, the designers need for the future I don't think so not at all because you've still got to interpret that data yeah and you need to you need to work out whether it's good or bad for the form it's not going to give you the perfect solution it never is and I think design is very intuitive Mm -hmm. and I don't think that a computer is ever going to take that place I'm glad to hear that because that's my belief as well and (laughs) this is the same information I I tell um Regardless of who they are, how they do things, when it comes to design, you can't actually replace that human touch, regardless no. of how good the technology evolves. No, I mean, over. AI is not going to be empathetic. Yep. And interior design needs to have that. Yeah. You need to create communities. You need to create, you know, you're creating places for people. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to take away that. Yeah. So I don't – I think you need to work with it. I think it'll be great for time efficiency. It's a tool. Et it is a tool. It's a tool like anything else that we've used, but I don't think you need to be scared of it. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I'm glad you said the word empathy before because it actually leads on to the next part that I wanted to ask. Um, what is the thinking of an interior designer like? Do you go through the design thinking process with empathy, collaboration, and experimentation? Obviously, you've mentioned those two values before. Mm. How does that, what's the thinking of an interior design look like from the start of a project to handover almost? So this is, this is a really good question and it's something I don't think it's just singular to interior design. I think, mm-hmm. it's, um, I think it's broader than that and it's how everybody approaches design and when you think about it, it's very circular. Mm-hmm. It's not a linear process. So you don't start and finish at one end and finish at another. Um, you go round and round Mm -hmm. and that's really about and that's because of collaboration so you will you will start with a brief always start with a brief um where your project is what it's supposed to do what the demographic is who's it for what what's the purpose of the project and what does your your client want so this is this is your brief this is just trying to understand exactly what the project is about these are the fundamentals so that's your research stage almost this is just Yeah, it stems into research. Like I said, it goes around and round. Mm -hmm. So you might have, you know, just a couple of things from a client and then you go into the research and you start researching demographic or um, who your target market is or what's around, you know, the area or climate or, you know, the sustainability approach, what have you. Whatever it is, you're starting to research and and analyse that data. Mm -hmm. And you're working with other people, you're working with your client, you're working with key stakeholders, you're working with um, other consultants, and you're adapting your thinking to suit. Mm -hmm. And then you start brainstorming, and communication is a big key here. You've got to be able to talk to other people, and you've got to be able to work with other people and um, not take things too personally. Um, and I think that's one of the things that you get taught at uni. Yeah. You know, you've got to well, it happens sure that, yeah. when you get very harsh critics coming at you and 
from first year you're drilled on it so yeah you, you get used really to it <laughs> yeah but um and then that you know it's it, like i said it's very circular and you might go through that for a while and you might go back to the start and come back again mm-hmm. before you actually start putting pen to, well you you're putting pen to paper but before you actually start getting into the project. Yep. And then again, you know, you might refer back to some of the things that you've been working on right back at the start. So yep. you've, you've just got to understand that there's not going to be a very straight line. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think if you actually analyse the process, you know, you'll, you'll understand that it's not. It's just very, very much round and round yep. you go until the final product. No, I think that's very similar in all design <laughs> disciplines and and the same patterns are coming through now if i may drill a little bit deeper into that first part of the design process that you mentioned is that where empathy comes in and if so i would imagine so because you are working with the client and understanding the community or whoever that you're going to be designing for how do you then work with and understand the stakeholders that are involved do you actually develop a persona card does it actually exist if that person is a reality, do you understand their hobbies and interests to that point? How, how deep do you go to empathize with that user or the client? Hmm. So my take on it is that it's a personality approach. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you go into a meeting or you're going into um, work with a group and everyone's different. Everyone has their own different personality traits and it's just about being able to read people Mm -hmm. and I think the more that you are exposed to that, the more you understand where people are coming from or what type of person they are. Um, Absolutely, empathy comes into play but it it really is based on your personality and being able to talk to people. Sorry, I want to actually stop you right there. The whole reading people yeah. that's very daunting for some people and and it's a how do you even teach that or learn that skill I don't think skill? you can it's not something that I, look I don't think you can teach it I mm-hmm. think it comes with experience mm-hmm. so you know it's you've got to have confidence in yourself that you can just go and talk to somebody in an open forum and just chat yeah you know and get to know them and just talk to them on a um a level playing field yeah and look, as, a, as somebody coming straight out of uni, it is really daunting. You know, you do feel a little bit intimidated. I know that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, you'll come to realise that it's okay. Everyone's yep. in the same boat. And just talk to people as if they were just, I don't know, someone that you just met in the lift or yep. something. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and um, and it's just really important to have that communication and open, like open communication with your stakeholders mm-hmm. and your clients um, and consultants in general. But you do have to be able to communicate. You really do. And it is, like I said, it's something that you will work on yep. as you go through. Now, <laughs> UI UX designers actually do this very specifically in developing a persona card. What I mean by that is they actually put a stock image of a, of a of some sort of a personality off the internet and they understand that this is what this person say, do, feel, think. And this is design thinking 101. Now, I've found that 
Other design disciplines don't necessarily do that. Some do, some don't. Architecture doesn't seem to do it. Landscape doesn't seem to do it. Um, UI, UX designers do, urban designers do, fashion designers do. So how does interior design fall into that? Is that something that you have any experience with? So this persona card. Yes. Tell me, say, say that again. Sorry, I'm just... No, that's okay. So it, it, it can be something that's brand new. And when we are teaching it to, for example, teachers, they, don't, they've ne- they have never actually heard of it. But all that the persona card is doing <laughs> is detailing what your ideal end user or your client is. But okay, so this is the target market. Correct, but yeah. we're giving an actual face to that person to understand that person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so when we, so in interiors, for example, we did a recent project mm-hmm. on a refurbishment of a very much a destination shopping centre. What? say the name and what have you. <laughs> but it was all about how do we, how do we bring back people? How do we, how do we encourage foot traffic? And it's all about understanding who that end user is. Yeah. So we did a study. We did we did um, a study on the area, the demographic, who actually goes there, um, when they go there, what they go there for, and we put a little concept, or I guess you could call it a persona card, together about who the average person was that that visited this center. I find that um, and, depending on the discipline, they do have different labels for it, but yeah. it's more or less the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, it was it was based on the age, where they were in their life, what they came to the store for, um, where they came from, and yeah, it was just talking a bit about that user of the center, and then the whole concept revolves around that because. That's your target market. Everything's about who's going to use this space. Yeah. Hmm. So do you actually go down to the point of talking to those people if possible? Yeah. I mean, you could go in there and you could ask them, absolutely ask them, you know, do a survey and ask them what they're there for, why they've come here, where have they come. Um, we do we do have, you know, collaborative partners that do that study mm-hmm. prior to us getting into the concept or being... Um, being brought into the project right at the outset mm-hmm. so you know we can do it they can do it but it's pretty it's pretty important actually especially in you know the retail market but also all around because at the end of the day you're designing for people yep. and you need to understand who that person is and it's it, it is very much it, it's very important yeah 100 percent. and i find that when designers go through that the ideation process becomes much more rich and the ideas then come out of it can be much more aligned with the end solution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, you're not going to go and put, you know, a, a food precinct in an area where it's elderly residents mm-hmm. with graffiti all over the walls and, you know, live music and all that sort of stuff because it's not going to work, you yeah. know, because the, the location and the dem- demographic around that development is a different, a different target market. Yeah. So... No, look, that makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I always get asked when we talk about a specific design discipline is if you're interested, are there resources and places you go to to learn and constantly stay up to date in the in the world of interior design in terms of news and the latest trends? And are there websites or books or people that you can recommend that, they, that the listeners should follow and even the ones that you, you would use? Look, we have um, we have a really good initiative 
in our company, which is research and development, mm -hmm. and it's all about staying at the forefront. Now, it doesn't matter if that's, you know, sustainability or interior trends, um, what have you, but it's really, really important that you do stay on top of things. And that could just be branding trends, um, but there are, there are lots of uh, newsletters that get emailed out that you should you know, subscribe to, you should read, there's magazines that you can read, there's thought leadership in terms of connecting with other people who are at the forefront of some particular area of that field. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that you get out into the wider community, talk to those people, read all those articles and be led by that mm -hmm. to, a, to a degree, obviously, but always thinking, okay, what's next? And you can't just be siloed in your own thought process or your own studio. You need to you need to get out there. You can you could go and travel, and you could pick up so many things. When you're going around your own community, you know you will you'll walk through spaces and places, and you will pick up little things and question them. Why why are they successful? Why are they not successful? And then there's all the other um, research yeah. topics. I think that's why companies value graduates and students and even that younger generation having that travel experience, it just adds to their value, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I traveled for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Well, I should say one um, <laughs> while I worked today. And it opened up my eyes a lot, you know, going into a different culture, different communities. And you do bring that back. And look, I travel now, but I'm talking about intensive travel when yeah. I was younger. I think that goes back to saying what you your point before of meeting people and talking to people. It adds to that experience of being able to network, being able to talk to a human being, yeah. another person, yeah. and learn from them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It goes round and around. It does go round and round. It's the whole process. But it's yeah, it's really important that you know you think further than yourself, mm -hmm. and you talk to people because there's so much knowledge out there that other people can impart on you that you can pick up. And, um, you know, don't disregard that, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think you've shared a lot of knowledge. Thank you so much. And you've done an incredible job in terms of giving me and the listeners an understanding of what interior de design is all about. <laughs> and I'm sure the listeners will have nothing but praises for you. So thank you so much for giving up your time. Thank you, Rashan. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Okay, you too.